16. For the moment, I want you to just look at verse 25, and I want to remind you of what has transpired up to that point. As Paul and Silas head toward Philippi, they are so blessed with the conversion of a woman who was gathered with other women down by the riverside for a prayer meeting, and Yet, with all of her religion, Lydia was lost. She was a businesswoman, a seller of purple, and she was saved. But just as God blessed, automatically the devil started fighting. And so we read the account of the demon-possessed woman being delivered, and all of a sudden, the town is in an uproar. You would think they would be clapping their hands with great joy at what had transpired, but instead the multitude rose up together against them. And then we're told they beat them, put them in prison. But notice verse 25, and at midnight, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Back when I was preaching revival meetings, I nearly always made sure that I preached a message from Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 25 on down through verse 34 at least. And uh, so regardless of wherever I went, I already knew that at least one night during that time I would be preaching that message or at least a message from those verses. I did so because of the fact that that section of Scripture addresses so many issues and answers so many questions that it makes it ideal for a revival meeting, whether you're speaking to those that are saved or those that are unsaved. However, several years ago now, I began to look at uh, this story in a new light. It happened uh, while I was pastoring over at the other building at Northway, and, and I had read, I'm sure, every kind of book imaginable about, uh, you know, how to best build a church. Uh, I could look back over the years and think about soul-winning conferences, evangelism classes, everything under the sun, how to, you know, build a church, get the attendance up, growing, and so forth. And and uh, I began to study the book of Acts and uh, the aspect of everyday Christianity. Daily they did this. Daily they did that. And during the course of preaching some messages over at Northway about that subject, all of a sudden I began to study and eventually preached a message about what I call natural Christianity. Just natural Christianity. And I believe that is still very much needed today. We live in the age of the artificial seems like you know that today that natural is unnatural 
We have all kinds of man-made alloys and plastics and fabrics and everything under the sun. And, of course, that's not always bad because remarkable improvements have been made in that regards. But, there, of course, there are some exceptions. And that's why the word natural now has become popular with a lot of people. We talk about, you know, natural foods and drinks and products and so forth. But too much of what we see in Christianity today is artificial, too professional, too cut and dried. And uh, there are a lot of people, in other words, that do good things occasionally, but they do them out of a mere sense of duty. In other words, it becomes cold and mechanical And that's not very impressive, at least in my mind. And I think that is problematic when it comes to us trying to reach the world with the gospel because they're not all that impressed with what we do occasionally when it's mechanically and so forth. But rather, it's our lifestyle that makes an impression upon them. During the course of those messages I preached several years ago, I quoted a fellow of the name of Stephen Hooks, a short quote I want to mention this morning. He said, most of the things we do for God, we do on purpose. They're intentional. They are consciously planned. But sometimes our most meaningful ministries are performed spontaneously or unconsciously. They are not planned. They just flow out of who we are and what our lives are about. It's that last part of that quote that so impressed me that I jotted it down in a little notebook that I keep of things that I never want to forget. That statement, he says, they just flow out of who we are and what our lives are about. What is the one thing above everything, everything related to you, that is, that you would attribute to you being a success? Well, somebody might say, well, success depends upon our ability Others might say, well, success depends upon our appearance or our accomplishments or maybe our aptitude. But I believe it's our attitude that makes a bigger difference than any of those things that I've just mentioned. Aptitude, appearance, ability, all of those things are meaningless if our attitude is wrong. I want to speak this morning about a winning attitude. And I want you to notice here the perfect example of it, I think, is Paul and Silas. Here they are in prison, unjustly. Notice their circumstances. You could call it the crisis. They're falsely accused, unfairly beaten, unjustly incarcerated. They're in jeopardy of their lives. Now keep in mind, they're not there because they have broken any laws. They're not there because they have offended God. They are there out of an interest to do good to others. 
but they receive evil in return. They came to proclaim a message that would set people free, and now they are stripped of their freedom. I mean, whoever said serving God is easy? Some folks got the idea, if I just become a Christian, that'll, you know, that'll be the end of all of my problems. Everything's going to be fun and easy from this point on. But here they are in jail. They're wounded. They're bleeding. Their lives hang in the balance. Their ministry seems to be over. If ever there was a true test of character, this is it. This is midnight in every sense of the word. In prison, fearful that we would never be able to preach again outside the prison, thinking that your life would soon be over. That's where they're at. And as I think about that, I can't help but wonder what my attitude might be like had I been in that situation, well, what do you suppose your attitude would be like? Officials come barging through the door and drag you out of this place and beat you till you're black and blue and bleeding and throw you in a prison cell somewhere with no assurance that you'll ever get out. No assurance you'll ever see your family and your friends again. What would your attitude be? You've got a choice. And here during this crisis, we see their choice. Now, they had several options, just like we all do. The providence of God being Roman citizens. Remember, these are Jews that were Roman citizens, actually, and that's a long story. But being Roman citizens, Paul could have appealed immediately. He could have said, what you're doing is wrong. You have violated the law. He could have done that. Bring me my lawyer. He could have cursed his accusers and went on ranting and raving about the injustice that they had suffered. I kind of suspect that I might have uh, been guilty of that. Maybe not you, but uh, I kind of tend to be that way whenever somebody does something that is unjust toward me, there's a natural tendency to want to lash out. They could have even expressed their resentment toward God. Some people do that. They complain about the unfairness of life. After all, here is Paul and Silas, men that have given their lives for the service of God, men who have dedicated themselves to helping other people. And now here they are, knowing full well that it would not, could not have happened unless God allowed it. By the way, don't you ever get so proud and so spiritual that you think that you are exempt from getting bitter toward God. It can happen to anyone when all of a sudden you are stripped of all of that which is dear to your heart. There's always that temptation to want to blame God. And they could have done that. They could have just laid down on the floor and sucked in silence. They could have curled up in a fetal position and sucking their thumbs and just like their life is over. Let's give them more credit than that. They could have said, why, 
let's conduct a Bible study while we're here. We'll just make the best use of our time and we will dispense information that people need. But they didn't even do that. They didn't do any of these things. They chose to pray and to sing. Now that was their response. And if you know anything about Paul, you know that was natural for him. That's what I call a winning attitude. A winning attitude. That's the attitude we all need. A winning attitude. Someone has said that attitude is kind of like a flat tire. Until you change it, you can't go anywhere. There's a lot of truth to that. They had a winning attitude. Instead of doing any of these other things, we're going to pray and we're going to sing. Notice there is nothing here that is calculated to design and designed to impress other people. It was the proper, normal response for a spirit-filled Christian. And God was about to use it in a in a most unbelievable way. Notice, notice their contacts. Here they are in a crisis. They've made a choice. But notice the contacts. The prisoners heard them. You know, it's not without reason that God leaves us in the world after He saves us. Right? We're to be salt and light to this world. As Christians, we are to come into contact with people so as to influence people to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will admit that sometimes though careful planning, calculated programs and things like that can be helpful. We have the ministry of our Awana clubs and Sunday school and things like that can be great. However, some of the best things we ever do are things that are unintentional and spontaneous responses to situations that God allows to come our way. As somebody has said, people are sometimes more blessed by overhearing us than by hearing us. In other words, they hear as we engage in conversation with others. They watch what we do. And what we are speaks louder than what we say. People are more impressed by the things that we do naturally and willingly than by what we do out of a sense of duty. It just might be that your neighbor, knowing that you attend church every Sunday morning, they see you as you go out the door carrying the Bible in your hand, you get in the car and you leave and you come back with a smile on your face and joy in your heart and a kind word for everyone And they know that's meaningful to you. That you're dedicated to the Lord by what they observe in your life. But what do you suppose they would think if on Sunday morning, they, as they were looking out their window, as some folks are prone to do, and they see the pastor pull up out there and as he dismounts, well, that's horse and buggy days, I guess, but he gets out of the car or the pickup. This is Texas. And he has a pump shotgun under his arm and he goes up to the door and orders you out of the house into the car and it's off to church you go. 
And you're attending church, you have the Bible in your hand, the pastor made sure of that at gunpoint. In other words, you did the right things, but you did it out of compulsion, not willingly. It's not natural. You just did it for some other reason. What kind of a, what kind of an impact do you suppose that would have on your neighbor? Well, I don't imagine you'd see much dedication in that. The best service that we can render sometimes is after the service is over. Whenever all is said and done here, and you've taught Sunday school, you sang in the choir, you greeted your neighbor, you had a time of prayer, and you walk out the door and you go on your way, And sometimes we accomplish more during the course of the week. It might be on the job somewhere. It might be sitting in a restaurant drinking a cup of coffee with a friend. But sometimes we reach people best when we're not really trying to reach them at all. But we're simply doing what is right and what is normal or natural in the events of life. When people hear us preach or hear us pray or hear us sing here at church, they expect that. Uh, Some people do. I don't know. Whenever Brother Tim gets up here and leads us in a song, and uh, most people expect everybody to join in and sing, right? That's just expected. But boy, whenever it's midnight, and midnight can come in a lot of different forms, When it's midnight, the sky has fallen. When it's midnight, all of a sudden, you have seemingly every reason to complain and you don't. When it's midnight and now there's no audience, no one looking on, no one expecting anything, no one imposing certain restrictions upon you or demands... And they see you doing those things that are loving and kind and godly. When there's no praise to be won, no reward to be had, that's when it matters most to other people. I've really got my doubts that anyone would have been impressed if Paul had said to the prisoners, I want to invite you guys to come and hear me preach and sing at church if I ever get out of this place. You've just got to come and hear me preach. Or you've got to come and hear me sing. I, I, I don't think that would have gotten their attention. They had other problems. Man, we're not worried about listening to you preach. we got problems. We're here in prison along with you. But boy, I'll tell you what, it got their attention when all of a sudden they... They saw Paul and Silas as they began to pray and as they began to sing praises to God. I I, I was sitting there a while ago and as I was thinking about that, I I just can't help but wonder what they were singing. Someday I'm going to preach a message about what they might have been singing. I think I know. I think I know. It wasn't found in the modern hymnals or anything like that, but it was the old Jewish hymn book. I I suspect that there were several different songs that they could have sang, songs they were familiar with. 
But I wonder exactly what it was they were singing. It really doesn't matter, but they were singing praises to God instead of complaining about the situation. They're praising God. As long as we're in this world, we're going to have difficulties. As long as we're in this world, we're going to lose something. Whenever we went through the flood, it's easy to... You know, for anyone, and we're not the only ones, many of you lost things that cannot be replaced. The best way to survive that is thinking about the things you didn't lose. The things that you still have. Not what you had, but what you have which you don't even deserve. And yet you still have all of those blessings. How dare we complain against a God that is so good as that? And all of us are in contact with somebody else, just like Paul and Silas. There's somebody watching, somebody listening, somebody, for good or bad, that's going to be impressed or influenced by what they see in us. Now notice what happens. Verse 26, he begins here to speak about their converts. He says in verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison, the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all of the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. The keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself. Supposing that the prisoners had fled, but Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And then he called for a light, and sprang in and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Now, it was common in those days, in those situations, for the living quarters to be in the jail. I'm talking about for the jailer and his family. And we sometimes assume that the jailer heard Paul and Silas as they were praying, as they were singing. Now, we don't know the exact time, of course, that elapsed between their song and their prayer that the jailer fell asleep, but that could have been the case. He could have very well heard them. I suspect that he did, but the Bible just does not tell us that the jailer heard them. But that's not the most important part. The most important part, what really mattered most, is the fact that God heard them. It's not like Paul said, Hey, are you listening in there? I want you to notice, I want you to notice this bass note. All that mattered is the fact that God hears them as they pray and as they sing. And again, I want to emphasize, all of this is happening naturally. There are no goals, there are no plans, no strategy, just a godly response to a difficult situation. They responded in a good way to a bad situation. And what happened? God took action. He did something unexpected, actually. He sent an earthquake. 
Maybe you're wondering why would he do that? Because maybe that's what it took to wake the jailer up. I don't know, but the earthquake became the means of awakening the jailer. And that led to the conversion of the jailer and and his household. But first there was this conversation between them. He's frightened as he comes in. He has a sword. He's going to kill himself because he's fearful being responsible for the prisoners. He's, he fears that he himself might be executed. So he's take the dignified way out for a man like that. I'll just kill myself. And Paul, what, what would you have said? Yeah, go ahead. You deserve it. Don't expect me to cry for you. After the way you've treated us, Paul says, no, no, no. Don't do yourself any harm. We're here. They wasn't looking for a way out of the jail. They were looking for a way into the jailer's heart. We're still here. We're not leaving. We're right here. And so this came at a time where the jailer is preparing to commit suicide. It was a sudden experience. It produced a radical change. And it was all according to the Scripture because when he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Notice the response is what? The response is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had the opportunity to say a lot of different things. He could have said, look, you've got to be baptized and join the church and be a good neighbor and give the tithe and do 40, 11 other things. But no, it's just one thing. All you've got to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. said nothing about walking down the aisle saying a prayer or anything else. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. God used this horrible, terrible, bad experience to create something wonderful now that led to a harvest of souls. None of this was contrived by the preachers. It just happened as, well, as a result of the natural, normal response to what God had allowed to come into their life. You mark it down. There are going to be things that that come in rudely into your life, things that you would never invite, things that you would never want to happen. And it'll be as though that they just kick the door down and all of a sudden those trials and tribulations are there, like it or not. What, What choice are you going to make then? You've got a choice. The best choice is to have a winning attitude The opinion that if God allowed it or if God appointed it, there is a good reason and I need to accept it. This wasn't something that Paul came up with. He didn't say to Silas one day, hey, I've got an idea. Let's do something that will get us thrown into jail so we can go down there and witness to the jailer and his family. I really doubt that this would have worked out at all that way. But just, I mean, without any warning whatsoever, they're, 
going about doing good and all of a sudden they find themselves in this situation. And rather than responding poorly to a bad situation, they responded as a Christian should and God did the rest. It was God who opened the jailer's heart. Notice verse number 30, verse 32, and they spake unto him the word of the Lord, notice, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized he in all his straight way. And when he had brought them into his house, not back into the prison cell, but his house, he sat meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. What a lesson there is here for us. Rather than just talking about the Christian life, we need to start living it. Let's think less about doing Christianity and think more about simply being Christians. And notice upon their conversion, immediately Paul gives them counsel as to what they are to do next. Now this story is a great example of, of, of godliness and the power of being a good example. But people need more than a good example. They need exhortation as well. I mean, Paul could have just left it there saying, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And, you know, they've been a good example. He could have just left it there, but it didn't. He went on. And even after they professed Christ as Savior, he taught them the Word of God. You know, the Bible tells us as Christians we're to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is within us. And so Paul is not only instructing them as to the way of salvation, he tells them what to do next. And they, they were baptized, him and his entire household, immediately. I, I think it ought to be as soon as possible. Some people make a profession of faith and you'll talk to them about baptism and they'll say, well, I, I want to think about it first. Well, what are you thinking about? Or I want to pray about it. Well, I can already tell you what God's going to answer. God expects us to take that act of obedience and to follow Him in baptism. I remember back pastoring in Missouri, and at that time we didn't even have a baptistry in the church that we had to worry about filling. All we had was the creek. Creek. Little bitty river, whatever you want to call it. And somebody make a profession of faith, and the first answer was, do you want to follow the Lord in baptism? Yeah, I do. Okay, off we'd go. The whole church, we'd all drive down to the creek and have a baptismal service. It ought to be that way, because that that is our outward manifestation of the change that has taken place in our heart. Paul made sure that not only he told them the way of salvation, but also revealed to them the will of God for a new Christian. Once we hear the truth, we become responsible for how we respond to it. And here we see the jailer and his family responding without any delay whatsoever. I don't have any idea exactly what God might be speaking to your heart about. 
There might be people here this morning that has never received Christ as their Savior. It might be that they're steeped in religion and confused about exactly what it takes to become a Christian. And I'm going to answer that question. I'm going to let Paul and Silas answer that question. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's all it takes is childlike faith in the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross. That's all it takes for you to become a Christian. By simply doing that, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you die, you'll go to heaven. That all your sins are forgiven, that you're now a child of God. You can know that for certain. And listen, you've heard the truth, and God holds you responsible for how you respond. By the way, He commands all men everywhere to repent. So don't get the idea that it's okay with God if you just kind of slip out of the building when the service is over and that you're going to deal with it later. There might not be a later. And if you're here and it might be that God is speaking to your heart about having a winning attitude, and if there's anything we need as we kick off this new year, We need a winning attitude. And a winning attitude is that attitude that whatever God allows into our life, that we're willing to accept it in a godly way. Isn't that what God expects? Now, I know it's tough. That's difficult for all of us, isn't it, to have a good attitude during hard times. But that's what God demands. That's Listen, that's what the world needs to see. I've met a lot of people over the years that were brilliant, maybe on a genius level. I've met a lot of famous people. I was the other, other day run across a sermon of, a, of one of the great famous preachers of the past that I had the privilege of meeting and spending time with and and to an extent getting to know, and it was just such an amazing experience. Uh, But you know, the most impressive thing that I've ever seen was not the impression made by those who had brilliant minds or those who were famous or had great ability of some sort, The most amazing thing, the thing that really sticks with me that I can't get away from is seeing some dear old saint of God beaten and battered by the storms of life, going through great difficulties and down a rough road and everything seemingly against them and for them to maintain a sweet, loving, kind spirit. Wow. How do you explain something like that? The only way I know to explain it is Jesus. He's the one that makes the difference. Wouldn't it be great if we all left here today saying, by the grace of God, whether, whether it's at home, on the job, in prison, or in the hospital, or wherever I am, with God's help, I'm going to have a winning attitude. And I'll guarantee you, without any effort on your part, God will use that to help you bring somebody else to a saving knowledge of Christ. Amen. Let's all stand. Father.
How we thank you this morning for the great example of Paul and Silas and not only them, but of people that we've known down through the years. People that have maybe not great impressive abilities or or mental prowess, but people that just loved you so much that they were willing to maintain a sweet attitude regardless of what came their way. God, help us to follow their example. Help, help us to live in a way that others can see Jesus living in and through us. And Lord, we know that it's far more than what we're able to do on our own. So we come to you today as helpless little children begging you to help us to demonstrate to the world what it really means to be a child of God. And if there's some poor lost soul here today, Lord, may this be the time that they will realize their need of salvation and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have your will in this service and accomplish your purpose and change our lives and be glorified in everything that's said and done. For we ask it all in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Now while we sing, if God's speaking to your heart, about anything whatsoever.